Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin with the Forgotten Sheep podcast, and in this podcast, we're going to talk about a missionary by the name of Clarence Jones. So Clarence Jones is best known as a leading pioneer in the field of using radio for missionary work. In his early years, he helped American evangelist Paul Rader establish his radio ministry. Clarence was also a successful musician and songwriter. In fact, if you're looking for photos of him on the internet and you see a group of people, if you see a man associated with the HCJP radio station and that man is holding a trombone, that'll be Paul Rader. He also served as a missionary to Ecuador where he started the Ecuadorian radio station I just mentioned, HCJP, which in English stood for Heralding Christ Jesus Blessings. And he was also the founder of National Religious Broadcasters. So let's talk about Clarence's early life. He was born Clarence Wesley Jones on December 15, 1900 in Sherrard, Illinois. His parents were very dedicated Christians and active Salvation Army members. Uh, At one point in their life, they were actually officers in the Salvation Army. Now, Clarence displayed an unbelievable gift for music from a very early age. And thus, he got drafted at a very early age into playing for the Salvation Army. And (laughs) he ended up being able to play all the instruments except for the tuba. And when he was a kid, that's probably because the tuba was too big for him. So he could substitute for anybody that was sick. So, again, he he loved music all through his life. Music is a very important part of Clarence's life and also a part of his work. Well, although he knew all the songs they sang and he attended all the Salvation Army meetings with his parents, he was not a Christian. And he didn't have any interest in becoming a Christian at that time. He had other goals for his life. Now, growing up, his family was very poor. So poor, in fact, that at one point he talked about when his pants would get too short for him, that in the winter his mother would just wrap newspaper around his legs and then tie it with twine so that his legs wouldn't get cold. Well, Clarence didn't like that. He said he didn't have any interest in being a poster board for the local newspaper, and so he would take off the newspaper and twine when he got out of sight. He also talked about when his parents had another baby. He was looking in the crib at the baby and thinking, oh my goodness, we have a hard enough time making ends meet now. Now, mind you, he's probably less than 10 years old. How on earth are my parents going to pay for this baby? (laughs) So he had a lot of concerns about their financial state when he was growing up. He talked about his dad working as a janitor and about how they were able to get free room and board. But basically they lived in a basement that I don't know if it even had any windows. But again, they were very poor growing up. Now, part of their poverty might have been because Clarence's grandparents, his Uh, grandparents on his dad's side, his paternal grandparents, disowned his father because his father was such an active participant in the Salvation Army. So speaking of the Salvation Army, I mentioned that he could play every instrument except the tuba. And this gave him an excellent opportunity to really hone his natural musical skills. And his favorite instrument became the E-flat alto horn, but he later became best known for playing the trombone. 
Now, the only issue he had with playing in the Salvation Army was that it was a religious group. And no doubt he got teased in school because of this. And being a religious group, they called on them to testify. And so Clarence decided he could trick them into thinking he was a Christian like them. When it came time to testify, he'd say, ditto to what the last person said. Or he'd say, that goes for me too. Well, I imagine the Salvation Army leadership was not fooled by Clarence's uh, testimonies, but that's, that's what he was doing. So, as he grew up, the only thing he liked about school was sports, and soon even his love of sports was not enough to keep him interested. So Clarence dropped out when he was 15, and he took a job wrapping and shipping tires at Montgomery Ward. And at that time, rubber tires were in very high demand because of World War I. And by that time, things were going well uh, for his parents. He said they uh, were able to get a nice place to live. And he was just so delighted that his, his parents weren't in poverty anymore. But unbeknownst to Clarence, things are about to make, there's about to be a big change in his life. And it's going to be a change for good. Well... One day, a friend of Clarence's invites him to come play his trombone in the band at Moody Church in Chicago. Moody Church was founded by an American evangelist by the name of D.L. Moody, who's also rather well-known for some of his, uh, some of his books. So they, his friend says, hey, Clarence, why don't you bring your trombone and play in the band at this church? Well, Clarence thought this sounded pretty cool. Uh, he went, and he was amazed at how huge this church was. It was absolutely huge. He said sitting in the musical section, he couldn't see to the back of the church clearly. And the band members accepted him readily, and his skill at playing the trombone was very much appreciated. And Clarence liked the music that they played, too. Um, they didn't just play hymns like they did in the Salvation Army. They also played things like the Star Spangled Banner and some uh, various marches and things. Well, as I mentioned, Clarence was in awe at the size of the church and also how well the band played together. And then when the pastor gets up to speak, he finds himself absolutely spellbound by the pastor, who was American evangelist Paul Rader. And he said... He enjoyed Paul Rader's preaching style, and he also noticed that the messages seemed to speak directly to his heart. And for what seemed like the first time, Clarence came under conviction. He realized that he needed to be born again. And I think it's so neat that the Lord used Clarence's love of music to draw him to a place to hear the gospel where he would get saved. So, it was October 27, 1918. Clarence was listening to the sermon, and he was under conviction. And he realized that he was a sinner. And he also realized that playing in a church band and knowing all the facts about Christianity and knowing all the hymns wasn't helping him, was not changing him, and he wanted to be born again. So when the altar call came, Clarence laid down his trombone, stepped out of the musical section, and went to the altar. Now, interesting thing about his experience at the altar. 
at Moody Church at that time, when people would come to the altar, they would be taken into a side room where people would get down and pray with them and would speak to them and give them some guidance on how to get their Christian life started. You know, things about reading your Bible and praying and reaching out to other Christians and witnessing. Clarence goes in there. He kneels down. He has been in church his whole life. He knows the sinner's prayer by heart. And so he says the sinner's prayer. And he said he felt changed. He felt different. He gets up, and a gentleman said, Son, where are you going? And he said, Well, I'm saved now. And he said, Well, how do you know you're saved? And Clarence said, I'm different. I feel different. And he said, Well, that's all well and good, son, but what about tomorrow? What if you wake up with a toothache tomorrow? Are you still going to feel saved? And then he took Clarence over and sat him down and gave him some some guidance, some Christian guidance and mentorship to get him started on his Christian journey. And so that is when Clarence was born again. He soon switched his membership from the Salvation Army to the Moody Church. And then a few weeks later, he's again active in church now, not because he has to be and not just because he gets to play his favorite musical instrument, but because he wants to serve the Lord and he wants to help the Lord's cause. He wants to serve the Lord, not just in being a Christian, but being of service to the Lord. And so a few weeks later, he's attending a luncheon and there's a missionary from Japan that's speaking. And the missionary was trying to get the young people in the group to respond to a call to missions. And Clarence was really surprised that nobody seemed very interested. And he thought himself, God's done so much for each of us. Surely, We should want to do what little we can for him. And then the missionary asked if anyone was willing to volunteer for the mission field. And Clarence was shocked that nobody raised their hand. And he just blurted out, Well, I've got Christ as my Savior. I'll be glad to do anything he wants to go any place he sends me. He raised his hand and committed himself to the Lord for the uh, cause of missions. Now, on his way home later, and this happens a lot of times when you have a experience at church, he gets home on his way home later and he gets discouraged. He gets sad. He gets depressed. He gets downcast. And he thinks, well, I don't know how I can serve the Lord. I don't have any qualifications. I mean, I dropped out of high school when I was 15. I'm, people think I'm uneducated. I, I don't see how the Lord can use me. But I like it that Clarence didn't take that as a defeat. One of the themes that you'll see running through Clarence's life is his determination. He simply will not accept defeat. And in this, he thought, okay, so I'm not qualified. I'll get qualified. I'll learn what I need to know. So he shows up at the Moody Bible Institute the next day and said, I want to take your course to be a missionary. And the secretary there said, well, we don't have a single course to be a missionary, but we do have a three-year program. And he said, okay, sign me up for it. And so he signs up. First day of classes, he discovers he's been joined by three of his friends from the Moody Church Band. The Lord was really doing a work among the musicians up there, wasn't he? And his mother was so happy. She had been praying about Clarence getting training so that he could fulfill the calling that the Lord had on his life. Well, now, remember, Clarence did not like school. He did not like school at all. But now that he was studying something that genuinely interested him, he started getting straight A's. And 
I also want you to think about this too. He didn't finish high school, and yet he starts college-level courses and is able to get straight A's. So he's obviously very hardworking and, again, very determined. Well, he graduated just shy of his 21st birthday, and he was able to get a job. I guess you might say straight out of the gate, he was able to get a job. So as soon as Clarence graduated, he was recruited by an evangelist named Charles Neighbor to play for his band and lead the singing in his evangelistic meetings. And during their travels, Clarence meets a young lady named Catherine Welty. He liked her very much, but she had a very protective dad. And he was very unfriendly towards potential suitors. And there was no chance that Clarence would be able to interact with her on a private basis, even with a chaperone. So Clarence had to resign himself to interacting with her in group situations. And what I think is interesting, he respected what her dad wanted, how her dad wanted things done. He respected that. And he and Clarence, I'm sorry, Clarence and Catherine began to exchange letters back and forth, and love soon developed. Then, in 1922, Clarence receives a telegram. Paul Rader, the minister who he was born again under, was leaving Moody Church and was going to start a new church, and he needed a brass quartet. And Clarence was one of the top names on the list. I told you guys he was good. So Clarence leaped at this opportunity and soon found himself at the Chicago Gospel Tabernacle playing his instrument, playing the trombone. And he felt very much at home because the Chicago Gospel Tabernacle at that time was a lot more like the Salvation Army. Um, basically, it was a warehouse. Uh, it had dirt, I think a dirt and sawdust floor. And people, because it was a less formal building, people felt more free to be expressive with their emotions and their feelings toward the Lord. And he felt very much at home here. Well, Paul Rader began to take notice of young Clarence, his skill with the, the trombone and all of that. And so when Paul decided to start his radio ministry, Clarence was chosen to be a key part from the very beginning. So Paul met with Clarence and I think a few other men that he wanted to be a part of this and said that he his goal was to fight Satan in his own territory. The Bible tells us that Satan is the prince of the air. And he said he's going to fight Satan in his own territory. And they're like, what? And he explains that they're going to use radio. This was still very new territory. Uh, the first one, uh, the first minister to really use radio and have a 24-hour-a-day broadcast on radio was Amy Simple McPherson uh, out of Los Angeles, California, and Angeles Temple. Paul Rader um, had been given the opportunity to provide some music and preaching for Chicago's brand-new radio station. I think this was the first major radio station in Chicago. Now, Clarence had never even listened to a radio, knew nothing about radio. But by the time Paul Rader finished explaining to these men his vision for radio, Clarence and the other guys were all for it. Now, a lot of people in the church were against 
using the radio to spread the gospel. And this is interesting if you listen to their reasoning behind this. First of all, they said, well, hardly anyone ever uses a radio. It's just a fad. It'll go away. You know, it's just a fad. That's that's funny. We still have uh, radio today, you know. And they said that it was a waste of the Lord's money to throw it away on something like this. Well, Paul Rader and his founding group, they ignored these naysayers. And their first broadcast was June seventeenth, 1922. And Paul describes it that they show up at City Hall in Chicago and they go up to the radio station itself, which um, was uh, a building made out of pine boards on top of City Hall where there was a lot of wind. And they get up there and there's the, the pine board. There's an operator behind the boards and a hole cut in the boards. And they said, okay, guys point your musical instruments towards that hole in, in this board, toward this opening, and play for all you're worth. And he said that's what they did. They just played for all they were worth. And then Paul Rader stepped up and preached a short sermon. And it was a success. Clarence fell in love with the idea of radio as a means of reaching people with the gospel. Uh, the city got lots of calls where people were loving this uh, radio program. They wanted to hear more of Paul Rader. They wanted to hear more of the musicians. And Paul Rader made Clarence the program director. Now, mind you, the Lord is going to use Clarence to basically take radio as a missionary tool He's going to build a radio station in Ecuador that reaches pretty much all over the world. And this is the start. It's so cool to look back and see where the Lord is putting the pieces together. And so he makes Paul his, uh, Paul makes Clarence his program director. It was Clarence's job to line up performers and speakers to fill in as many hours as possible. And at this time, it was all live broadcasts. Well, during this time that he's been working for Paul Rader, uh, Clarence has definitely fallen in love with Catherine Welty, and he proposed. And his utter delight, Catherine said yes, and the engagement was long enough just to make plans for a simple wedding. Now, Clarence was a young man, and he was in love, and they get the wedding all set up, and he realizes the day of the wedding, he has no plans for a honeymoon. He has no money for a honeymoon. <laughs> And he's like, what am I going to do? And so he's a bit distracted during the wedding ceremony. But he prayed. And this is something else. Clarence had great faith in God. If he needed something, he would pray and believe that God would provide it. And the Lord did just that. He believed the Lord would help him out. And provide him what he needed to get his Marriage started here, or a honeymoon, and to get them started. I am so glad that we can go to the Lord and pray, and He doesn't look at us and say, Well, you got yourself in this mess, you can get yourself out. Or, Well, that wasn't very bright of you, was it? You can figure your own way out. The Lord doesn't do that. And so the Lord's helping Clarence. Now, the Lord doesn't always answer those prayers the way we want, but 
he does undertake for Clarence in this. Now, Clarence was so distracted that when it got to the point in the ceremony where he was to put the ring on Catherine's finger, he realized the ring bearer had lost the ring. Clarence drops to the ground trying to find the ring. Now, Paul Rader is there uh, at the ceremony, and so he decides to step up and try to help. So he leads everybody in prayer. Well, he's an evangelist, and his prayer is kind of going in a direction that people might not think is appropriate for a wedding. And Clarence is just stressed out, and somebody points, and Clarence realizes the ring is under his foot. So he recovers the ring. Paul Rader closes the ceremony. Clarence puts the ring on Catherine's finger, and they're wed. So the ceremony ended, but Clarence still didn't know what to do about his honeymoon. However, at the end of the ceremony, Paul Rader walks up to him and hands him an envelope. And he says, Clarence, I need you to go to a certain, certain place to set up a series of evangelistic meetings for me. And he says, I've put enough money in here to cover your expenses and also some extra cash. I want you and Catherine to take a couple days for a honeymoon. The Lord provided. So I thought that was neat. And I also thought that was neat. That was how they started things out was, uh, as the old term is, the sawdust trail. Well, Paul Rader began to depend increasingly on Clarence. And it seemed that every new venture he came up with, he put Clarence in charge, along with everything else Clarence was doing. But during all of this, Clarence continued as program director for the radio ministry. And Paul Rader had encouraged his musicians to write their own pieces and their own songs. So Clarence tried his hand at songwriting. And they had played and sung some of his songs over the radio, and they were extremely well received. And people in general seemed to love the radio and it was reaching people with the gospel people that would never set foot in a church that would never set foot in a tent meeting that would never have anything to do with Christianity could turn on their radio and hear a message from the Lord and they would end up coming to Paul Rader's church many of them getting saved before they even got to church so radio was a way of reaching people that would never come to church I think that's so important that we remember that we are to be reaching out to people with the gospel. The people that need to be saved are not likely to come to church. There are those that will. But the people that may need the Lord the most may be the ones that will never want to come to church, that will never want to come to a religious meeting. But there are ways to reach them. But we have to be willing to put forth that effort, that outreach. And that was something that Clarence understood and he was very dedicated to. He was so delighted to see how they were reaching people through radio. Now, over the next several years, Clarence was busy working for Paul Rader and building up his family. By 1927, he and his wife, Catherine, had two daughters. And it was also in 1927 that the Lord first spoke to Clarence about using radio for missionary work. So here's how the missionary pioneer of radio got his call. One night Paul, was, Paul Rader was speaking to a congregation about the need for missionaries. 
And Clarence remembered back to that meeting when he first got saved, and he had said he was willing to go to the mission field. And something stirred in Paul's heart. I'm sorry, in Clarence's heart. And he felt his need to go to the altar and commit his life again, to confirm that commitment to the Lord. Not that he had put it aside, not that he had said no to it, but that he just wanted to recommit himself, reconsecrate himself to the Lord for missions. Like, Lord, if you still need me, I'm here and I'm willing to go. Now, when Paul Rader gave the altar call for missions, he turned around and was very distressed to see Clarence putting down his trombone and going to the altar. He depended on Clarence for many things, and he was not really in favor of having Clarence take off to parts unknown as a missionary. Now, Paul Rader was a powerful evangelist, a very effective soul winner, but as the case with all of us, he was not perfect. And we're going to see some things that Clarence's mentor, so to speak, Paul Rader, did that were not very Christian. But we will also see Paul Rader try to make those things right. Well, later that same week, two missionaries came to the same camp meeting and they spoke. And Clarence is there in the audience and he hears an audible voice. First time in his life he has heard the Lord speak to him in an audible voice. And that voice said, Arise and go south with radio. It was so real. Clarence looked around to see who said it and to see if anyone else heard it, but no one had. So he realized the Lord was speaking to him. The first thing that goes through his mind is basically, my wife's going to kill me. <laughs> he was afraid that Catherine was not going to be in favor of this. When she had married him, she had made it clear that she was only interested in home missionary work. So Clarence worried all the way home. He talked, in, uh, he talked about drinking a cup of hot cocoa and wondering how he was going to broach this subject with his wife. Well, you know, the Lord was speaking to Catherine, too. And so he gets ready the next morning to talk to her. And he says, Catherine, I need to talk to you about something. She's like, okay. And he tells her what the Lord spoke to him. And he said, she said, well, uh, Clarence, the Lord has been speaking to me too. She says, last night, I was at home with the girls while you were at that meeting. And she said, the Lord spoke to me and said, Catherine, will you go? And she had said, yes. And so there was that union between the two that they both agreed that they would say yes to the Lord. Now, Clarence had to tell Paul Rader. <clears throat> As I mentioned, he was not very happy about this. He tried. He said, well, that's great, uh, Clarence. Uh, my daughter's going to India. Why don't you go to India? And he said, well, sir, um, the Lord has spoken to me and told me that I'm to go to South America. Well, I guess you won't be having any support from the church then, huh? Clarence was disappointed, but he served the Lord, uh, not not Paul Rader, and so he did what the Lord was leading him to do. However, things would never be completely the same between Clarence and Paul Rader again. Well, Catherine and Clarence began to scour atlases and 
missionary newsletters to try to find what kind of missionary work was going on in South, Af uh, in South America. And they eventually discovered that there were some Christian Missionary Alliance missionaries at work in Venezuela. And so Clarence was able to make contact with them, and he headed out with his brother-in-law, Chet, on an exploratory trip to South America to see what kind of potential there was. Well, they learned a whole lot about the culture. They learned that certain parts of South America were jungle, and there were parts that were mountainous, like the Andes Mountains. And there was a lot of rough geography there. Um, he tells a story, and I don't remember if it was during his first or second trip to South America, but the missionary they were with had this old Model T Ford, and they were going up this steep hill on that model, or up this steep mountain on that Model T, and the missionary says, well, gentlemen, we're almost out of gas. I'm going to have to stop. And they said, where are you going to get gas? He said, I'll get some kerosene from some of the locals. And Clarence was like, you're putting kerosene in a Model T Ford in, uh, engine? And he's like, trust me on this. I know what I'm doing. So he puts kerosene in that car, and it runs. <laughs> now, as if that's not interesting enough, this tells you a little bit about the terrain. They finally get to the top of this mountainous region, and they are able to coast for three hours downhill. Downhill through all. And so Clarence learned so much about the culture, about the people, and about the geography. However, of the different nations that they reached out to and met with, they could find no one in the government that was interested in radio broadcasting. They, for example, they contacted the president of Venezuela, where these uh, Christian Missionary Alliance missionaries were serving. And he said that they had their own religion and they did not need any foreigners interfering and they were not interested in radio. They received similar answers in Panama, Cuba, and Colombia. Clarence was crushed. He knew the Lord had called him to do this, but there was no one interested. It just wasn't time yet. But when you're in the middle of that situation, you don't realize that. It's back home, what goes back to work for Paul Rader in the Chicago Gospel Tabernacle. And he's sad over this. And then his wife and he lose their firstborn son have a newborn baby, and he passes. And Clarence talked about the difficulties for his baby and the pain and the grief that was involved with that. And then Clarence got so depressed and so despondent that he decided to give up his Christian work, not give up the Lord, but give up his Christian work and just join the Navy. He figured that with all his knowledge of radio and all his his experience that the Navy would jump at a chance to try uh, to have him work as a radio operator. Now, he goes to the Navy and he applies and the Navy doesn't want him. Now, that had to be a big blow to his, his ego. They told him um, his eyesight wasn't good enough. And at that time, they had very strict requirements for eyesight. And if you look up Clarence... Uh, if you look him up online for pictures, every I think every picture you find of this gentleman, he is always wearing glasses. And so he's coming home, having been rejected by the Navy, 
having his idea of radio rejected by these multiple countries in South America. He's just, his mentor is giving him the cold shoulder, and he is so, feels so hopeless, and he's walking up the steps to his house, and he sees someone moving in that he recognizes, and it turns out that um, this lady was a missionary to Ecuador, she and her uh, husband. So he and his wife began to talk with she and her husband about Ecuador. And they discovered that Ecuador was very open to missionary work and assistance, not just with religious things, but with physical problems and physical, uh, what's a good word I'm looking for? Well, they were interested in things like radio. And so Clarence invited some of Ruth's missionary co-workers to speak at the Chicago Gospel Tabernacle. And then when the altar call for those interested in missions came, as you can bet, Clarence joined the others. And then after the service, they were eating, I believe, at a hamburger joint. And he broached the subject of radio with these missionaries from Ecuador. And one of the lady missionaries, he described her sit, taking a sip out of her milkshake and saying that they had already been thinking along those lines. And that there was a good chance that the Ecuadorian government would be fine with having their first radio station be a Christian one. So we see... It's like the Lord slammed the door that had to do with the Navy, but another door was beginning to open up. So the group began to pray and make preparation to approach the Ecuadorian government with a solid, well-thought-out plan for radio. And among some of the details that they had in the document as part of their contract was they promised the station would always be a source of positive, hopeful messages. It would not promote any one denomination. It would never comment on politics. And it would also provide airtime to the government for um, broadcast and programming, dealing with farming advice, weather reports, and cultural programs. And in exchange, they would ask that tariffs be lifted on the radio equipment that they brought in. And they requested long-term visas for the radio workers that came and then presented the document to the president of Ecuador. Now, one of the men that worked for the president of Ecuador was very much in favor of the radio, and he kept moving their document to the top of this man's uh, inbox, literal inbox. He kept moving that document to the top of the stack of papers on his desks, on his desk. Now, they also reached out to the denomination that was active in Ecuador, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, to get permission to move ahead with the plans. And they were a little intimidated uh, by the gentleman in charge of making such decisions, and they approached him. And I loved his answer. He said, if you can get into South America and launch gospel radio from there, go for it. It is so nice to encounter someone in Christian leadership that is encouraging of new new ventures, encouraging of new methods. And he was like, hey guys, if you can get that going in South America, you have our blessing. You're our missionaries, we don't mind our mission working on this at all. And so everything seemed to be going really, really well.
with their plans for getting radio set up in Ecuador.